this recently. There we go. Um, I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, just the first five verses um, this morning. I really want you to open up to that with me um, and, and have that text in front of you on your phone or, or however you want to do that. But I want you to have just the first five verses of 2 Corinthians. Uh, that way, if I get distracted, if I get away from the text, if you get bored, at least you have the Bible in front of you. Um, but I, I, I want, I, that's really how I want to introduce the talk today is... is um, and this is kind of relates to what Paul is saying here. A lot of times when you stand up and you try to present the word, um, you get in the way of it, you know, um, and it becomes Jeff or it becomes you. If you're a teacher, if it becomes us instead of the word of God, man, it's good to see y'all this way. I just now saw y'all come on. Um, you see the word of God um, and not me. And you see the word of God and not church. You see God. Um, and that's, that's what I really pray that happens this morning. I want to lift that up in prayer and I want to ask that you allow God to speak to you. Um, man, I, I stumble over myself a lot. Um, things get in the way. Um, and, uh, my prayer for us as a body and as a church and me as a person is that in humility, um, we exalt God and we exalt his word and we make ourselves, you know what John the Baptist said? I love it. He must increase, I must decrease. Um, what a powerful statement. Let's, let's lift that up in prayer. Uh, my God, I just want to come before you. And I ask, um, uh, Father, that, uh, that you would, that you would allow your word uh, to reign in our lives. That um, outside of just maybe the obvious things like we've been talking about, but Father, in our minds, in our hearts, that there are so many voices that we elevate above yours. And I pray, Father, that you'd silence those voices, that you'd silence that in our own hearts, in our own minds, that your voice would be more clear, um, that we would see Christ for who he is. And I'm asking God that you speak to us through your word this morning. I love you for this message. It's in Christ's name uh, we pray. Amen. All right, so in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to tell you what's going on. We're getting into uh, these next few chapters um, are some of my favorite chapters in the book, um, really. And it's, it's going to seem strange that I say that because it's going to look uh, like Paul is boasting. Uh, and he's going to say, hey, listen, I'm going to talk like a fool real quick. And I'm going to start talking about myself. And he's, he's going to start turning that direction. And you might say, well, that's a turnoff. I, that's not what I want to hear. Well, that's what his audience thought too. And that's exactly why he's doing it is because there is so much slander going on about Paul. This is what we pick up on in 2 Corinthians. This is what the opposition is saying about him. They are attacking his sincerity. They're attacking his credentials. They even attack his ethics. I want to just look at this opening verse. He says this, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul. And you're going to find out later that he's quoting them. This is what they're saying about him. Whom timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. Um, some of your versions say humble instead of timid. Those versions are correct. Uh, the word timid is not there. It mean, it should say, uh, you say that I'm humble if I'm around people. Man, I'm putting on a show when I'm around you, right? I'm acting humble. It's a false humility. This is what they're saying about Paul. He's not real. He's not genuine. When he's away, man, he's arrogant. He talks about himself. This is who he really is. It goes on and it says this. He's called an imposter. He's called unimpressive. He's called weak. They say your speech, 
amounts to nothing. That's what they're saying about Paul. So you want Paul to say, it's not about me. Who cares what people say about me? I'm sorry I dress funny. I'm sorry I talk funny. I'm sorry I'm not impressive, but you know what? I'm past middle school. I'm okay if you talk about me. That's what you want him to do. But you know what? He keeps going and he he decides he needs to defend himself. And I'm going to explain why. They're saying, who sets you up as king? You smell like prison. These are the, man, these are the Greeks. This is the intelligentsia, man. These are, these are the, the, the super apostles you find out later. These men dress well. They speak with eloquence. They carry weight. They're financially set. They have credentials. They know who they are. You smell like prison. You lack credentials. You lack class. You don't possess the eloquence, the acumen, the command, or the heart to carry any weight in this community. Paul, go home. This is what he's up against. And he decides he needs to defend himself, not because he's defending himself. The problem is they're attacking the credibility and the efficacy of his message and his gospel. And the reason he has to step in is not to defend himself. It's not about him. Anyone knows Paul, man, knows that's where his heart is. It's not about me. But I have to defend my message because they're stepping in and they're trying to put a gospel on you that is not a gospel from Christ. And so you're going to see him get bold in these next few chapters. He goes on and he says this, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some who think that we live by the standards of this world. I love it that Paul, of all people, and I've said this before, I love it that Paul, of all people, is called weak. When you know of his former life, what he used to do was go from city to city, enslave and change, imprison and kill. This is the life he came from. And this man who's covered with scars now because he gave his life to a different direction is being called weak. And I love it that he says, I beg I beg God, don't turn me into the person I used to be because I'll come there and show you how strong I am. I'll come there and show you how bold I can be. It could pull out another side of Paul, but he says, I beg that you don't come, make me come there and, and, and I don't want to have this relationship with you. And this is what's happening. And he's, you see emotion pour out. Get this, in 2 Corinthians, there's more emotion than any book in the New Testament. More emotion in 2 Corinthians. Look at this. He despairs. He experiences sorrow twice. He expresses joy three times, rejoices five times, feels anguish in his heart, sheds tears, shows incredible overflowing love six times. He's perplexed. He's confused. It says he groans twice. He regrets in this book. He expresses fear three times, jealousy Mourning. It even says in chapter 11, I burn with distress. This book is full of emotion. He's pouring his heart out in this book. It's a super emotional book. And that's why, man, he finally just throws up his hands and he says, I'm going to act like a fool in these chapters. And I'm going to boast the way the world is boasting. I'm going to talk the way the world is talking. Because I have to defend what God has laid on my heart to give to you. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, I, and I've mentioned it before, but raise your hand if you don't mind. If, if you all read uh, This Present Darkness, have you read this book? Okay, good. Actually, a pretty good number of you guys. Uh, this is the first book that I remember reading in my life. 
uh, this book really impacted me. At a time when the Bible bored me, I picked this up. And, um, and what I remember, and I haven't really read it since, but what I remember, and maybe you can identify with me if you've read it, uh, it's a book about a church in a small college town. Now, I read this before I ever dreamt I'd be like a Christian, really, or, or a, a preacher at a church in a small college town. But, but this book is about a church in a small college town, and I'm sad they changed the cover. This is a cool-looking cover. But the original cover has this little church building and has this big claw coming down. It's really cheesy looking, but it's still powerful. A big claw coming down on the church, you know? And the book is about this preacher in this town and this church in this town, and they're trying to make headway, and they're trying to make a difference in the community. And then the next chapter is about the spiritual forces that are happening, and this angel named Tal, and all this other stuff comes in. And and you see one chapter is about this mundane activity, and the next chapter is about the spiritual war that's happening and swords and all this cool stuff. I remember I could not wait to get to the next chapter that was about the spiritual world. I got so bored reading the church world. And I, got, I couldn't wait. Sometimes I might just skip ahead and say, just tell me about this angelic warfare, what's really going on. Tell me about what's really happening, you know. And that's what happens with Paul, and I love it in this chapter, is the opening is about him and the agitators. The opening is about him and the super apostles or these learned Greeks or whatever. But immediately he sees a deeper picture. When I walk into a room like this and I see Eric, all of a sudden my mind could say, I think a negative thought about Eric today. I've chose Eric because who thinks negative thoughts about Eric? But, but I, I, I see him and immediately my mind says something negative. I think that man is fake. I think that man, and and something happens in my mind. And you know what this is, because this goes on in all of our minds. All of a sudden, something happened in my mind that I thought was just me. What this present darkness does is it says, maybe not. Maybe there are forces at work, even though you see flesh and blood, and you see Eric for a man You don't see the things that are happening around us right now, that there are darker forces at work, that there are higher forces at work, that he is not just flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual realm all around that man, and there's a spiritual realm all around me. And that is what he ends up doing in this chapter, is immediately going there and showing kind of what Ephesians 6 does, um, showing that there is a higher spiritual battle going on. He says this, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Throughout Paul's letters, he keeps going back to this idea of war, of fighting. He says in Romans Let us throw off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Earlier in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, We fight with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. In Thessalonians 5, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The most famous chapter is Ephesians 6 and verse 10. I'm just going to read verse 10. Look what he says. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in His great might. 
Now that's going to be super important for the verses to come. You be strong in the Lord and in his might and in his power. Elsewhere, Paul says this, to this end, I labor and strive with all of the energy that he supplies. He saw himself in this deep spiritual battle. When you find yourself entertaining an accusing spirit in your mind, you may call it suspicion. You may call it intuition and you may choose some other euphemism. But you should be certain of this. If your accusing thoughts are not rooted in what is factual and you are not directly addressing a person in love, you are entertaining a spirit that is not from God. And you have most certainly been deceived. When we listen to gripes, complaints, and negativity, we are more susceptible to believing the lies produced by complaints and cultivating negativity in our own life. Have you noticed that if you watch CNN, if you watch Fox, if you watch Facebook, and you're bringing in a world, regardless of what your political or whatever those views are, When you're bringing in a world where there is nothing but hostility and negativity and lying and arguing and children acting like children, you end up behaving this way yourself. You produce it. It becomes a part of you. You watch too much of what the news today has become. And I'm not talking about the stances themselves. I'm talking about the behavior that is demonstrated. You end up emulating it. The way they talk about people... On the news today, the way they talk to one another and about one another should not be something that Christians even bring in their life because it comes out in the church. It comes out in our behavior towards one another. And when we're around it, we think, well, that's acceptable. That's the way people treat one another. That's the way we speak to one another. That's the way we listen to one another. Um, You ever catch your mind being governed by destructive voices, negative thoughts. I want, to, I want you to just think about this one thought that just hit me the other day like crazy. I'm able to recognize that it's Satan at work in my mind. His talons are buried in my mind, and he caused me to look at Eric and think something that was ungodly. If I recognize that it's Satan that did it, why don't I also recognize that the voice was a lie? I can't treat it as though it's a truth I'm supposed to suppress. If I know it's from Satan, I should also recognize it probably is something that is not true, something that is not from God. Um, that's, that's kind of where I wanted to take you into what Paul has been dealing with. There are two names, chief names that are given to Satan in the Bible, the accuser and the enemy and the liar. That's three. I'm, I need to count. The accuser, the liar, and the enemy. This is who he is. So recognizing that when we emulate accusation and we emulate lies and we emulate all of these things that belong to Satan, that is exactly what's happening. That's what Paul is dealing with at Corinth. But he saw this, he saw this world that he was in, this church world, as a spiritual battle. And so he recognized his battle was right here and not right here. And that's so crucial. Okay, I've got a few friends I asked this morning to come up and join me. So I'm going to ask you guys to come up here uh, with me. Um, let's see, Chad, Jason, Bob, and, uh, and Billy. All right, so I can get these guys to come up here with me real quick. I want to show you guys something. Um, 
what I'm about to share with you guys to me is, is super, super important. Um, and uh, there's some people that I really want to hear what I'm talking about real quick. Okay, Billy, for right now, you're just going to go camp out somewhere. Okay, I'm going to get my friends over here. Now, what I want you to recognize about this illustration is um, I'm at a place in my life where I need Jason. He's my friend. I come unto him and I hold on to him and I, I, I love this man and I need him in my life because he accepts me for who I am. All right? He's somebody that I find comfort in. All right, come over here, Bob. Now, Bob, Bob's my friend too. He came at a point in my life where I need him. Come over here on my other side, my friend. He came at a point in my life where, man, I, I just need him. Now I'm finding comfort because you know what? I'm not alone. And I'm not sure too many people are going to try to hurt me right now either. I'm, I'm in a place right now where I got, I got some friends, you know. Nobody's going to touch me. All right, come over here, Chad. Now, the, uh, Chad, you, <laughs> all right, Chad, you're going to stand behind me, brother. All right. All right, now, in my group right here, in my team, I find support. I find people who accept me for who I am, and they came along in a part in my life. I want these things to represent not just friends, but they represent three battles that Paul talked about that we're all up against. The battle of the flesh that's within, the battle of the world that's around, and the battle of Satan that's against. Those are the three forces that come up against Paul, all right? They come, and this is, this is my world. I'm comfortable. I've known this world for a long time. Jason and I go back way back now. This is my world, right? But you know what? It's time for me. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you just want to grow? Where you just want to change? Where you've had a name and a reputation and this is who I am and this is how I've come to... And you're like, you know what? I'm ready for change. I'm ready for something different to happen in my life. So you step away. All right. All right. Because you know what happened when I stepped in? When you know what happened when I stepped away? Let's just give him an arm. You know what happened when I stepped away? I got lonely. It was cold out there. It was dark and it was hard. So I, man, I came back here, but they influenced me to come back. Uh, all right, Billy, you're, you're on stage now. Now, Billy, for obvious reasons, represents Jesus here. <laughs> He's going to represent Jesus in this scenario. Okay, you step back a little bit. Now, here's what tends to happen, though, in our life. As I try to walk away from my friends, I try to walk away from this thing, and all of a sudden, what used to, what used to be... <laughs> used to be just a kind influence, all of a sudden becomes a little bit more forceful. All right? And it becomes something that, all right, now you guys got to, man, I, you're big for a reason, right? Now, what I want you to know is, you uh, gave me a good echo, too. Um, what I want you to know about this is, uh, um, the reason I have three of them up here, I didn't think one of them would be able to hold me, and so I, I wanted to bring up three. Um, but the problem is, okay, now you guys got to hold me back now, okay? The problem is, because I'm going to fight, and I, I can put up a fight. All right. The problem is, if I, if I want to get out of this world, and I want you to hear what I'm saying, because this looks funny, but some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. 
You have an addiction in your life. You have people in your life. And this is exactly how sick it looks trying to get out of it. Okay? Is, is all of a sudden, no matter how hard I strain against these men. He's strong, little guy. <laughs> okay, but, okay, but I'm, I'm doing this for an illustration. I'm going to keep fighting for an illustration. Look at this. The more I fight. Look, Jason, he's got to put his body into this, man. Okay, I knew it would take off. Okay. The problem is, okay, the problem is now what just happened. All of a sudden, I'm tired. I am so tired of fighting. And this is so many lives right now. I am so sick and I'm so tired of fighting. And the problem is, they're not just holding on to me. I'm holding on to them. And as soon as I come back and as soon as I try to walk away, the problem is I find out that I, I, I'm in love with this life that has now become ungodly. And all of a sudden, the problem with Christ coming in this picture is, okay, you're going to try to reach for me. Now I want you to pull me. Don't kill me. But try, try to pull me. <laughs> I want you guys to keep a hold of me. And I want you need to pull me away from these men. <laughs> this... This could get good. <laughs> All right. Now, the problem is, okay, now you guys have to work with me because, yeah. Uh, okay, but, but here's the thing. The problem is he's not going to pull me away as long as I am holding on here. The problem with me reaching forward to my faith in God is I also have to do what? You better let go because they're trying hard enough to keep me in. And for me to allow Christ to pull me out of what I'm stuck in, I have got to let go and come on. Okay, you guys can sit down. I want to show you guys something. These are, these are some, these are some prisons, some fortresses and some strongholds that are holding people today. Now addiction, I put up there just as another name in the list, but I really could have just put addiction there. Because addiction covers an entire realm. And there's so many people caught in addictions. So many people caught in friendships. So many people caught in communities right now. And it's like, I need to move forward. If there's one theme this year where people have come to me and said one thing over and over and over again. And I mean people that are trapped in dark sin. People that are trapped in apathy. People that are strong Christians all saying the same thing. What is next? What is ahead for me? Do you know what the problem with me letting go of these men and going to Christ is? Christ keeps moving. These men stay still. The life that I'm stuck in is stagnant. It's insipid. It is what it is, and it doesn't move forward. And the people in my life don't move forward, and the addictions in my life don't move forward. And when you come to Christ... You no longer are in a stagnant life. You are in a life that moves. You're in a life of discipleship. It's not today what it's going to be tomorrow. It keeps moving. And that's the adventure of what it is to be in Christ. Constantly moving. Constantly going forward. And when I have a stronghold in my life, and I want to show you how this ties into what Paul's talking about. He looks at Corinth. And he says, man, they have a stranglehold on this church. 
They have names I don't have. They have resources I don't have. They have prestige I don't have. And now all of a sudden you see Satan's claws and you see this, this demonic force that's at work in these people's lives. And instead of saying, I give up, God. I give up on all of this. I give up on that church. I give up on my life. He does exactly the opposite. He's going to turn around and he's going to say, no, they have divine power. The weapons we fight with have divine power to wreck strongholds. This quote from the movie Shawshank Redemption, I thought was so pertinent to this. Ellis Redding says, these walls, talking about the walls of prison, are funny. First you hate them. Then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you get so you depend on them. Right now, I'm, I'm thinking of people that are in this room right now. And I'm thinking of people that I wish were in this room right now. And you're in that exact place and you know exactly what he's talking about there. Where there was something in your life that at one time you hated. And now it's taken a grip on you and now you depend on it. And there's friends in your life sometimes that you need to let go of those friends and you need to move forward because they're holding you back. And there are people in your life, close, long-term, best friend for a long time, I get it, but they are holding you back. And there's something in your life that you call an addiction. There's all these other things. It's not just that you have a hard time getting out of it. It's keeping you from what discipleship looks like in Christ and the amazing life that he intends for you. He goes, on, when he, he goes on and he says this, we demolish, I want you to hear this Caleb Joshua kind of talk that's coming out of his mouth. You remember when they go in the promised land, the spies go in and the ten come back which said, man, the walls are too big. The fortresses are too strong. And Caleb and Joshua use this language. He says, nah, we're going in. And he says this, we will devour them because their protection is gone. I love it when they say that. We will devour them. Their protection is gone. Paul has the same mindset. So what I want you to hear in the message this morning is actually a message of incredible victory. Paul looks at these fortresses that that govern churches, that govern individuals, that govern us. He looks at it and he says, in Christ they're nothing. He'll shatter it. He'll demolish it. These were the philosophers um, that were important to Corinth. Man, this is, uh, this is the intelligentsia, man. These are the, these are the incredibly smart, wise men. These were some men that they would have been familiar with. Uh, here you have, um, Epicurus. He's on your uh, right. Uh, you have, uh, Zeno. Uh, he represents the Stoics. He's in the middle. And the Cynics, uh, represented by the man on the left, an un- unknown philosopher. But here you have Epicureanism. Stoicism and cynicism. These are the three major philosophies. Now, don't let me lose you when I use those words, because this is hilarious. Those are the three major philosophies that governed Corinth. This is, um, Stoicism was the philosophy of the elite. Uh, the other two philosophies governed the middle class and the lower class, uh, cynicism and stoicism. Cynicism is the philosophy that you live a base and basic life. No property. You reject all conventional values of money, fame, power, and reputation. I know when I say that, you're thinking, sounds kind of cool, man. That's basically, they don't believe in materialism. That's why in that statue, and that's actually a, a, 
uh, just for modesty, the statue, I don't know that Greeks did that, but uh, he's just has a towel draped around him. It's not a toga, it's not a robe like you're used to seeing. He just has it. Most of them walked around naked or just with sheets or just with towels. They didn't believe in possessions. I don't want to own anything. Sounds kind of good, kind of made the hippies of their day, right? But, but it goes on and it says this. This is also what they believed. There is no ambition. There is no purpose. Just live. Just be content. Forget ambition. Forget purpose. Forget anything in life. How about this? Anybody who takes pride in being a cynic, do you know what the word comes from? Why they called it cynicism? It comes from the word canine. It means to live like a dog. To call yourself a cynic is to call yourself a dog. This is the, the, the philosophy of the dogs. Just live, no purpose. That's their philosophy. On the other side of things, you have Epicurus. Just the opposite. Indulge. Live life to the fullest. If you want to eat, eat. You want to drink, drink. Live life for you. This guy was so anti-religion and anti-God. Um, but pleasure is the highest good. Don't fear God, he said. This is his quote. Don't fear God. Don't worry about death. And then stoicism in the middle. Stoic comes from the word porch. Uh, because they used to sit and listen to Zeno on his porch. And so they called it stoicism. Said this, if you want any good, get it for yourself. But steal your sensibilities. In other words, um, have no passion. So that life shall hurt you as little as possible. They didn't believe in emotion. Just just suppress all emotion. These are the philosophies that govern their time. And that's what was considered intellectual. Have you ever been there in your mind where you're sitting there and you, you have somebody that has all these accolades, all this prestige, incredible eloquence. He has such command and he says the dumbest things possible. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, you said something so eloquently, but what you said was dumb. That's what Paul is addressing here. He's th- these people that are, re- that are making fun of him and mocking him, the super apostles included, what they're teaching is, hey, live like dogs. And they're the ones that are speaking about him as though he's nothing. But Paul believes this, uh, and, and, and this is kind of what I wanted to relate it to today. If there are two philosophies that govern our society today, they come right out of what these men represents, represent. Indulgence or indifference. If there are two things that I could tell you govern the mindset of Fort Collins outside of Christ, it's this, indulgence or indifference. Right now, there are people in this room, I know you could be there, and you're tempted to think, I really just don't care, Jeff. And some people think... All I'm living for is stuff and getting stuff and then I die, right? And Paul comes in and he has this message. And what I love about this is that he has this mindset of complete victory. And I want to close just by giving you these two verses that I think are super crucial and I pray that would help you right now. Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live 
self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And in Romans 8, he says this, You are not controlled, not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it does not belong to Christ. But for Paul, he recognizes the spiritual battle, and he sees these thoughts that are happening in my head right now, the sickness, the opposition that comes against me, the gossip, the slander, the wickedness in my own head, I don't see people anymore. I see this. I see the spiritual realm, and I see this battle, and this is true. Martin Luther King said it. It's so powerful what he said. Just months before he died in Detroit, he said this. He said, if you, he says, I must, I must be honest with you, America. Realism and honesty impel me to admit that if you stand up for what is right, if you stand up against entrenched evil, in other words, if you live life for a purpose that honors God, you are going to have to be willing to suffer and sacrifice and you will be mistreated for righteousness sake. Many people are going to say many evil things about you and you need to be prepared for that if you're going to stand up in this earth. He said it just months before he died. He knew what he was doing was going to lead to his death. And I promise you this, the more we do things for the gospel and for the kingdom of Christ, the more Satan will put a target on this church. And the more you do things to raise up and you're going to do something for Christ, the more he will put a target on you. And the attacks in your life, and I don't know where they come from, but I believe this is true. The attacks in your life, no matter what it is, they are not coming from carnal sources. They are not coming from people in your church. They are not coming from your boss. They are not coming. They are coming from a very dark force in your life. We have to recognize that, but that's a dark message because Paul doesn't camp on that very long at all. He instead just turns and he says, we are overwhelmingly victorious because I see who stands with me. And by the grace he's given me, he has taught me to say no. And so if you're in a place in your life where you need to let go of something that has enslaved you. Something that has surrounded you and it's a lifestyle and it's a name and it's an identity that you are so attached to that you feel like I can never, you're tired of fighting and you can never let go of it. Paul is going to look at you and say this, by the spirit of God that is in you, he has given you grace to teach you to say no to let go and to trust his power to demolish that stronghold in your life. In this room right now, you are surrounded by people um, that could tell you about a life they once lived in and thought they could never escape. You are actually surrounded by countless stories of that right now. A life that I was stuck in, a name that was attached to me, the people around me wouldn't let me let go of this identity. And life changed. And I pray that this year, and I pray that this week, and maybe even this chapter in God's Word would remind you um, that He has the power to deliver you from a life that is enslaving you. And the power to deliver you into a life he has intended for you. I want to pray this prayer. And I want to ask that this not just be a closing prayer. But I really pray that you. I'm just going to have just a few seconds of silence here. I just want to pray that you would lift up in your life. um, A fortress. 
that either you stand within or you stand against, maybe in somebody else's life. And just like Jericho fell, just because they marched around it, basically lifting this up in prayer, I'm going to pray for some fortresses to fall. Um, Let's pray. My God, I, I want to come before you and recognize you as such an almighty and all-powerful. You are, you are our fortress. You are our protector. You are our provider. But Father, you march before us like a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. You demolish armies still today. You demolish fortresses still today. You bring down the high places still today. And I want to ask for the people that are in this room and my friends and my brothers and my sisters, I want to ask that, Father, when they're tired of fighting and they feel completely hopeless and completely helpless, I pray, God, that you would, you would demonstrate what it is to reach out in faith to you. That you would bring down some of these walls the way you brought Jericho down. And God, some of us who are working with people that just feels like I don't know what the point is anymore. They can't be reached. Satan has too much of a stronghold on their life. And we feel helpless even in trying. I pray, God, that uh, you would arm us with the same mentality Paul had. That we would lift up uh, a spiritual battle to to you. And pray, God, that you would um, allow this to happen in lives around us. Allow this to happen in your church today. I ask you to be a shield around this body, a shield around this church, that every thought and every attitude would be taken captive in your train, that we would set our minds on things above, what is pure and lovely and of good report, these kinds of things. Father, I pray our minds would be set on you. I love you, Father, for the power of your spirit to work through your word, not just in this hour, but in what's ahead. In the name of Christ, I come before you. Amen. Let's worship our God together.